Hello, this is Marc Imbert speaking, Chief Editor of the European Respiratory Journal. Today I'm delighted uh, to speak with Professor Thomas Simelovsky from the University Pierre et Marie Curie at the Pitié-Salpêtrière Hospital in Paris, France. Professor Simelovsky is a head of a clinical department and of a respiratory research unit in Paris and is a major associate editor of the ERJ. Today, Thomas will discuss with us in detail the main take-home messages of the article by uh, Professor Fekri Aburug and colleagues from the University of Monastir in Tunisia, entitled Prenizal in COPD Exacerbation Requiring Ventilation Support and Open-Label Randomized Evaluation. In addition, Thomas will uh, discuss the editorial he wrote with Professor Sami Suissa from McGill University entitled Systemic Steroids in Severe Forms of COPD Exacerbations, A Question of Balance. Hello, Thomas. Hello, Mark. So it's good to speak with you, and uh, I will go uh, straight to the first question. This paper is quite exciting, and uh, I would like you to give us some um, overview. Can you tell us first uh, what is the problem with acute systemic steroid treatment in COPD patients? Uh, well, Mark, first of all, it's also a pleasure to be uh, discussing that with you for this uh, ERG uh, podcast. Um, systemic steroids in COPD uh, are administered during exacerbations uh, on a routine basis. Uh, it's very frequent uh, to see those patients given uh, pre oral uh, prednisone. And in fact, it's even uh, one of the elements of the definition of COPD exacerbations. The problem, nevertheless, is that the degree of evidence that supports the use of acute systemic steroids in COPD is not that strong. There is some evidence that uh, steroids can accelerate recovery, um, both from a functional, pulmonary function and clinical point of view, but this evidence is not um, extremely solid, and there is also evidence that acute administration of steroids in COPD can create side effects that can be bothering, Uh, either on a short-term basis, and it has been reported that in the most severe forms of uh, exacerbations of COPD, uh, steroids provoke hyperglycemia, uh, but also on a longer uh, basis, because those patients, uh, you have to keep in mind that they are exposed to repeated exacerbations, namely repeated administration of systemic steroids, namely cumulative effects that can be potentially harmful and, and mostly on the muscles. Yeah, that's very interesting. You mentioned the muscles. Your editorial focuses a lot on muscles because uh, you, you have a, a very strong interest on that aspect. And do we have data on the acute effects of systemic steroids on respiratory muscles and quadriceps, or is it more in the long run? Well, in fact... Here again, um, the, the data are not extremely strong, but there are indications that acutely administering uh, steroids to COPD patients results uh, in a negative nitrogen balance uh, and, and in catabolism, including a loss of muscle mass and a loss of muscle force. And there are also indications that this tends to be cumulative over a certain period of time. So, in short, patients with COPD tend to destroy muscle 
faster than the built muscle and corticosteroids uh, tends to tip this balance in the bad direction so accelerate the muscle loss um, so there is a, a risk that a patient with a COPD who receives a treatment with systemic steroids and receives it again and again and again during a year um, experiences a decrease in muscle mass quadriceps mass um, for respiratory muscle, it's not that clear. There are not very uh, good studies showing that. But in fact, most important is the capacity to walk and the impact on the quadriceps is probably more important than the impact on the diaphragm. I think we have enough data to be at least cautious uh, about the use of uh, drugs that promote catabolism in COPD patients. Thank you. So let's go back now to the paper by uh, Abrug and colleagues. First, it's a nice paper and uh, it has been, I think, uh, very uh, uh, well performed and uh, the take-home messages are of interest. And I would like to know uh, for you as a specialist in the field, uh, what is the main take-home message uh, for the clinicians, for the readers of the ERJ? Well, this paper is important because uh, it it is the first of its kind in, in a very specific population of COPD patients. This is the first time, in fact, that a uh, systematic trial is conducted in mechanically ventilated patients on such a scale. Um, the take-home message is that there was no clear benefit in this series in administering systemic steroids. And as said before, there were hyperglycemic episodes uh, requiring insulin. So I would say that the take-home message is be careful with uh, administration of systemic steroids in COPD patients in the ICU. It is not completely ruled out that in some categories of patients, this can be useful. But in general, our attitude, which is to prescribe steroids on a large routine basis in, in ICU patients with COPD, is not justified. And this trial at least should make us hesitate before prescribing uh, systemic steroids in ICU COPD patients. Well, thank you. I think the, the message is well taken. Uh, in fact, in your editorial, you have also analyzed uh, the main limitations of the study, and I think it would be good to uh, insist on these limitations. Can you share that with yes. us? Yes. This, this study um, has the main merit of being the first of its kind and trying to clarify something. At least it says to us, well, you think you are doing a good thing by pr uh, prescribing prednisone in acutely severe COPD patients admitted to the ICU, but maybe not. However, uh, this was an open-label study, and the power, the statistical power of the study was not um, extremely important, and there is a major issue regarding external validity. The authors indeed excluded from the trial, patients who had an exacerbation treated with steroids in the months preceding the study. Well, this is real life. Those patients do exist. And in fact, uh, the number of the patients that they excluded on this basis is very close to the number of the patients they included in the, in the study, 50% uh, about. So um, I think in future studies, patients, real-life patients should be included. And, and, and for the moment, this is not a definitive answer to the question. In spite of those limitations, uh, I like this paper a lot 
because it is a warning to intensivists and with no benefit on ICU mortality or with no benefit in any PROs, uh, I think it's unwarranted to expose patients to hyperglycemia and muscle loss for, with these drugs. Thank you. Uh, I think uh, it's important to, to indeed emphasize the limitations, but once again, there is room for more studies, and this uh, first study of its kind uh, shows the way. Um, I think it's really important and nice to have this article in the, in the journal. Well, the last question is in fact linked to uh, some of your comments and to your um, editorial in your editorial, you put a lot of emphasis on post-ICU rehabilitation in those uh, COPD patients uh, who have experienced a severe exacerbation. And I think for our readers and for the people who listen to the podcast, it would be very nice if you could share with us your own uh, approach after ICU stay uh, in COPD uh, patients after an exacerbation. What is your practice at the PTS Salpetriere uh, Institute? I think the case for pulmonary rehabilitation in COPD has already been made and nobody discusses uh, the interest of this approach. And I think the case uh, for early rehabilitation um, has also uh, been made and, and there are Cochrane uh, data showing that it is an interesting approach. Uh, the problem with that is a question of resources uh, and the availability of resources. In our hospital, we have uh, recently opened a a pulmonary rehabilitation facility for patients just after exacerbations, either severe, so hospitalized, or very severe after the ICU stay. And uh, our policy now is to um, uh, start the rehabilitation as soon as the patient is capable of doing it. And when I mean capable of of doing it, I don't mean capable of actually doing exercise uh, on a bicycle, but just off the acute treatments. When the patients can have a electrostimulation of the quadriceps, it's time to start. And we, we start very low, very low intensity, but very early after the exacerbation. Um, we don't have the personal uh, feedback on this experience because our facility has opened a few months ago only. Uh, but uh, from the clinician perspective and the impression, uh, it, it seems that those patients do benefit a lot uh, of the uh, activity after the exacerbation. At least what I can say, it, it does not need any scientific proof, is that the patients enjoy a lot the uh, early exercise after uh, exacerbations, which is uh, already something. Well, thank you very much. I think this uh, personal opinion is, is rather important and uh, I wanted also to congratulate you for opening this uh, facility in your hospital and uh, we will follow the results of your uh, personal experience with, uh, with great interest uh, in the future. Well, thank you very much, uh, Thomas, for this very interesting discussion and uh, I hope that uh, we will have more papers uh, in this field in the future and more uh, data, maybe more robust data uh, on the management of severe forms of COPD uh, exacerbations. This was Marc Imbert, Chief Editor of the European Respiratory Journal, discussing today with Professor Thomas Similovsky from the Université Pierre et Marie Curie uh, in Paris, uh, the paper by Abrug and colleagues published in the March issue of the ERJ.